most other people don't care. Your family cares, a few friends care, but for the most part, recognize that even if they say something negative or they put you down, they're not thinking about you before or after that conversation. They're just going on in their own life, and so you really don't owe them really any of your emotional energy. You're listening to Financial Grown-Up with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown-Up. And you know what? Being a grown-up is really hard, especially when it comes to money. But it's okay. We're going to get there together. I'm going to bring you one money story from a financial grown-up, one lesson, and then my take on how you can make it your own. We got this. Hey, financial grown-up friends. That was Geometry of Wealth author Brian Portnoy talking about a controversial career change he made, leaving an academic path that he had invested in both time and money for a job in finance and the judgment he faced by colleagues. He gets into some very candid comments that may surprise you to hear them actually said out loud. I'm curious to hear your reaction here. So please DM me after you listen and let me know what you think on Instagram, I'm at BobbyRebel1 and on Twitter at BobbyRebel. And with that, let's get going. Here is Brian Portnoy. Hey, Brian Portnoy, you are a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, nice to be here. Congratulations on the success of your most recent book, The Geometry of Wealth. Thank you. I appreciate it. And this follows, by the way, your other book, Investor's Paradox. So we're so happy to have you here. And you brought with you some great information. But before we talk more about your book and all that that offers our listeners, as you say, to live a life of funded contentment, and that has a lot to do with a big career decision that you made that was in part financially motivated, but there were other things going on as well. Tell us your story. For the first roughly 10 years of my career, I was in academia. I earned a doctorate at the University of Chicago in political science, and I was having some success in terms of my writing, in terms of uh, job offers from prestigious universities for tenure-track positions, and on paper, everything was going really well. But I'll say that when I was honest with myself and with my fiance at the time, I simply wasn't happy. It was a tough career, frankly, from a monetary perspective. It was not lucrative. I mean, being a graduate student, you're, you're basically broke, and then you go from being a graduate student to a professor when you're not broke per se, but you're really not making a lot of money. And the academic lifestyle involved moving around a lot, finding it hard to uh, set roots in one place because you're, you're looking for the right job at the right university. The harder part was the expectations that others had of me that, hey, you're, you're a smart guy and you've been working on and thinking about this for a long period of time. So to be able to, to go to those people, family, friends, my professors, my dissertation committees and say, you know what, I, I want something different. I need something better for me was not easy. I ended up just sort of putting a bunch of feelers out there and one of them was to an old friend that I grew up with who was working at a company called Morningstar that some of your listeners might be familiar with. He was telling me about some of the investment research that they were doing. And even though my PhD was in political science, I was 
researching markets and economics as well. And I found this job pretty intriguing and I applied and I got it. Did you know the kind of salaries that, first of all, the years of investment, both in lost income and in paying tuition and then making very little money? And did you know what the end game was in terms of earning potential when you made those decisions at 21? I really didn't. And I guess it's a little embarrassing to say that I didn't, but I was following my passion at the time. And so I figured, hey, I'm friendly with and I see the lifestyle of some of these professors and it looks great to me. So I didn't ask any hard questions about the monetary element of it. I was on a day to day basis pretty broke and that didn't help my mood. I just hadn't given much thought to the career element on not just the money, but the lifestyle, which was sort of moving around a lot. And frankly, the people, I'm not going to be critical of those who go into academia. I have many of my good friends are, are now senior professors all over the world, but I really wasn't enjoying sort of the social network that I found myself in. What do you mean by that? I mean, when I was hanging out with folks in the business world and broadly speaking, I was having a good time, enjoying socializing when I was hanging out with those in academia. I just didn't like the people very much. It was it was relatively, despite the level of brilliance that you would find with folks, it was relatively narrow-minded. I just wasn't entirely comfortable. So what were the changes? You get the job at Morningstar. What were the changes in your overall life, but specifically financially in terms of your potential and the path that you are now on? How did that change? It changed significantly. Well, first of all, at that point, I was married to somebody who had a very good six-figure salary. My starting salary at Morningstar, I think, was $41,000. This was in the year 2000. I was not pleased with that, but that's what the job offered. And I, and I wanted the job, but it was certainly about double or more, um, actually triple what I had been living on in graduate school. So from that point of view, it was a step up in lifestyle. Plus I was um, married to somebody who had a very good job. The more important thing is that I got into sort of a normal work routine in mainstream society. The lifestyle I had in academia you set your own schedule, which sounds great. You work on whatever you want, which sounds great, but it was unstructured and frankly untethered from most everything going on in the world. It's remarkable uh, how ignorant others can be. Something I've really taken to heart is that most other people don't care. Your family cares, a few friends care, but for the most part, recognize that even if they say something negative or you know, they put you down, they're not thinking about you before or after that conversation. They're just going on in their own life. And so you really don't owe them really any of your emotional energy. So what is the takeaway for our listeners from that story? If you're in a situation where it just doesn't feel right, even if you're getting good reviews, even if you're making decent money, you owe it to yourself to step back and say, do I owe myself more than this? And then have the courage of your convictions to push forward. Let's talk a little bit about your everyday money tip because it ties into the philosophy of your book, The Geometry of Wealth, in that you have something you're going to suggest to people that at the moment will not make them wealthier, but it will help them lead a richer life. I think we all think in different ways about the relationship between money and happiness and whether money buys happiness. And I'll say somewhat controversially that uh, money in some cases 
can buy happiness. As part of that, deeper forms of contentment in our lives are in part driven by our deliberate decisions to express gratitude to others and to be generous. There is now a lot of research in psychology and neuroscience that shows that people who express gratitude and people who demonstrate generosity tend to be happier. I call it being constructively selfish because when you can tip a little bit more at the restaurant where the waiter or waitress was really helpful. If you can, every time you stay at a hotel, don't leave one or $2, leave, leave $5 for somebody who probably needs the money more than you do. And even in a non-monetary sense, you have an Uber ride where the driver was really fantastic. Make it a point to write them a review. Or if there's somebody at work or in your personal life who's really done you a solid, send them a text or call them and say, hey, thanks for doing that without the expectation of reciprocity. Love that. All right, let's talk a little bit quickly about your book, The Geometry of Wealth. As I mentioned, it's your second book. And it's a lot about the emotional side of investing and how to grow and stay wealthy and get past the jargon. I mean, you talk about the fact that a lot of people in the investing industry make it more complicated than it needs to be. That's right. The industry is filled with jargon. And sometimes that is used deliberately to confuse people so that they can buy products or services that might not be appropriate for them. I think the biggest mistake, all of us, including me, off and on for decades now, the biggest mistake that we make when it comes to our money is that we equate money with investing and we immediately dive into the weeds, into the markets and stocks and, and all that kind of stuff, which can be interesting, but very distracting. The geometry of wealth makes the point that what we need to do is start at the beginning. And starting at the beginning is to define what really makes us happy in life. And, and there's a number of different nuances to that. But we should be looking to underwrite a contented life. We shouldn't be looking to just get rich, meaning just have more money. Where can people find out more about you and the geometry of wealth? How to shape a life of money and meaning? My personal website is shapingwealth.com. There you can learn more about my background. There's a link to both uh, the geometry of wealth and the investor's paradox. That's the best place to start. And also my Twitter handle is at Brian Portnoy. And I'm quite active on Twitter writing about day-to-day -day financial decision-making. Thank you, Brian. You're welcome. Hey, friends, I kind of have to take a deep breath after that, but I really admire Brian's fortitude in making a career change even after he had put so much into his academic career. Financial grown-up tip number one, when choosing a career path, find out the general cost to get there, money and time, and the general payback. What can you expect? Sounds simple, but most of us don't do it. I didn't do it, guys. I was a communications major at the University of Pennsylvania. That's not a cheap education. And while I did have what was called a concentration in the business school there, I never really mapped out and thought through what journalism paid. And you know what, guys? Business news pays better than general news in general, but journalism, not the most lucrative career. Financial grown-up tip number two, Brian talked about more than money in why he wanted to leave. Industries have cultures. And sometimes those cultures are part of what makes a career attractive or not. So take that into consideration. 
You spend a lot of time in your career and with colleagues, so it has to be a match. Thanks to all of you for listening. We hope you are finding that investing the time is delivering value to you. And if it is, tell a friend, tell your relatives, tell your colleagues. Also, tell us. DM us on the social channels and learn more about the show at bobbyrebell.com. Show notes can be found at bobbyrebell.com forward slash podcast forward slash Brian Portnoy. In every show, it's always the same pattern. Just switch out Brian Portnoy for the guest name and you can find the show notes and links to everything that we talk about. And thanks to Brian for bringing us all one step closer to being financial grownups. Financial Grown Up with Bobby Rebel is edited and produced by Steve Stewart and is a BRK Media production.